Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is UXK. 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 I'm your host, Lee Allen Arredondo. Besides needing strong technical skills, much of the work that we do in UX and in our careers requires convincing others, whether it's about our ideas or our work or our ability to do the work we want to do. My guest today is Fiz Yazdi, and she's a managing director at CX Partners in London and Bristol, UK. Fizz developed an approach to selling based on what's called consultative selling. And if you haven't heard of that term, you're not alone. I hadn't heard of it either, but you'll find out more about it in this episode. Fizz adapted this into a really simple framework that she uses in her own UX practice, and she's begun sharing it with others. As soon as I saw her presentation, I thought, wow, this approach would be perfect for many of us in UX who maybe aren't natural salespeople. Thank you, Fizz, so much for joining me on UX Cake. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Thank you, Lee. It's a real treat to be here. When we were getting ready to, you know, we were going back and forth just a bit about what we were going to talk about today about selling. And I called it selling UX. And you were very specific about this is actually selling as a skill. It's not about selling UX, which is something different. And I thought, well, that's a really important difference. And I thought that would be a really great way to start out. So, it's more than just selling you X. This is sales as a technique to help you, as you say, to do great, impactful work. You have to convince people to back you. So this is more about building selling as a skill, as a tool to add to your toolbox, maybe. So you've hit the nail on the head for me in terms of when I was starting to understand a little bit how to broaden my toolbox, to broaden my skills as a UXer, I found that whilst my technical skills were pretty okay, my soft skills were well developed by the time I'd been working in the field a few years, I came up against a, a few barriers where I was starting to feel like I wasn't as convincing as I wanted to be or as effective as I wanted to be. It was hugely frustrating because um, we all get into this world because we have something, right? User-centered design that we think is really brilliant. It really works. We can apply it to all sorts of different problems to solve. And I was finding that this great tool that I want to use more out in the wide world to solve big problems, complex problems, I wasn't able to do as well as I wanted to. And at the same time as that, I was also being asked really within my career in the role that I was doing as I was getting more senior to start to do more to shape the kind of work that we were bringing into the company and starting to help with that kind of effort of growing the work that we were doing. So it started to come up on my radar quite heavily and I started to see the benefits immediately. So being more effective at helping people understand how user-centered design can support them to get the outcomes they want. Seeing how I could help the company that I was working for as well to grow their influence in the work that they were doing. And at the same time, I really saw opportunities for how it could help me as a person so I could start to really shape the work that I wanted to do. And I could see how it was helping me, not only applying it to my UX work, but it was 
the tools and techniques that I started to come across were helping me think much more distinctly and much more um, deliberately about my career. And so selling for me became about actually, it doesn't matter about what, if it's about work or if it's about an idea I've got or something that I want to do. It's just another core tool in my toolbox that I reach for super regularly. Yeah, it's so compelling because it's something that doesn't necessarily come naturally to everyone. Certainly in our field, we have a lot of people who are in UX design or research because of their creativity or because of their empathy or their interest in people. But um, sales is not something that necessarily comes by nature to many of us. Like I'll raise my hand right there. But so, (laughs) and when you realized that this was something that you needed to develop, like how did you go about finding your way in that? I'll just go back a little bit to what you said about raising your hand there. Because my goodness, I was such a reluctant person to start getting involved in this. I mean, kicking and screaming might be too strong. I didn't see it as something that somebody like me did, actually. I saw myself as a practitioner and a kind of craftsperson. I think I was a little bit snooty, wondering about where my work came from. I was gloriously happy that I I was working with people that were selling great pieces of work that they brought to me on a silver platter. And I was so lucky to receive those and craft them into a project that I thought would be successful. So I was a little bit snooty about it. And I had such an old school view of what selling was. I thought it was about pushing stuff onto people. And it wasn't modeled brilliantly. I think perhaps I just didn't see it modeled particularly well around me and didn't think it was something that I could do. So there was that realization that I had to do it. I didn't run into it. I was kind of pulled kicking and screaming a little bit into it. The wonderful thing about when I started, it's actually because a wonderful lady that I was working with, a great design leader called Jesmond Dallin, decided to get us some training, decided that we needed to understand more about the art of selling, that we were great at understanding the methodologies we deployed in our user experience work, but we weren't great at selling it. She had the epiphany, which I'm eternally grateful for, that it wasn't a kind of magic skill, kind of dark art that people were innately born with, that this was something that as bright, empathetic, curious people, we could learn. So I had some training and the wonderful thing that it started immediately to spark in me was that selling is very similar to the work we do in user-centered design. It's mostly about understanding people's worlds, understanding the challenges they face and helping them understand how they can get from where they are now to where they want to get to. And that was hugely important to me because it changed me from thinking about something that I had to do even though I didn't want to, to an extension of the world that I was working in and how I could make that world even better. And so as part of these, you just mentioned about the similarities between how we approach user-centered design and how you approach sales. What's the key to turning those skills that we already have into being more persuasive or selling? Yeah. (laughs) So I should clarify really that I've been broadly talking about selling, but where my skill set lies and the techniques that I've applied are actually a branch of selling called consultative selling, which there are many sales techniques out there. And I actually don't know an awful lot about those. 
But the training that I had early on in my career was around consultative selling. And as you can probably guess from the name, it's a really collaborative process. And it's quite different from other sales techniques that I've seen as well. Key things around consultative selling really are that they put people at the heart of that sales process. And it's all about putting yourself in the shoes of the person that you are hoping to convince and and influence in some way and understanding their worlds much better. As a UX practitioner, the things that I really cared about were always involving people in whatever we're doing. Having huge opportunities for collaboration and collaboration in a really authentic sense of that means we will be working together closely, but we'll also be confidently exploring areas that might be a bit tricky. There might be some elephants in the room to uncover and some tricky conversations to have. And also actually that whatever we're trying to do is really outcome focused based on some insight that we will get. We will try and aim for an outcome that is a win-win for the business and people. And so following that through, those were my principles that I mostly followed as a designer. And actually consultative selling puts all of those things as part of the process. So when we are approaching a problem, we typically reach for some kind of design process that might follow something like the you know, the infamous um, double diamond, or it might be a discover alpha beta, or you might be following some kind of lean UX process. All of those broadly kind of do that classic diverging out, understanding the what it is that's needed before they converge into kind of understanding how we're going to solve the problem. And consultative selling follows a very, very similar route. Can you maybe explain, is this something that you're using? I have two questions. Are these specific techniques that you're using, what are those specific techniques? And is this something that you're doing before you begin a project or during a project? And is it necessarily with clients or is it also something that you use elsewhere? Yeah, no, great question. So for me, the techniques that I've learned, which we'll talk about in a sec, but the techniques that I've learned really, I'm using in all sorts of situations, kind of big strategic situations, but also very, very tactical situations. And I might be using them when I'm working with clients that we're already working with, and I'm looking for other opportunities to grow that account. Or I might just be using it with coworkers when I want to convince them that there is something that I would like them to do. You know, I would like us to adopt a different way of working on a project maybe, or I would like to involve a different set of people or tackle something from a slightly different view. Or I might use it just as um, a personal goal that I've got actually. (laughs) And thinking about a really structured way that I could achieve that. And so would it be helpful if I started to kind of outline the techniques really, so we can get a bit of a flavor for situations that you can deploy them in? That would be great. So in terms of, as I said, it's very similar to many of the user-centered design processes that people follow. So first, you're thinking about, well, what's needed? So from a consultative sales point of view, the first thing that you're doing really is understanding the landscape that you're in. So starting to understand the business. So say I was thinking about a new engagement with a new client. Let's say they're a charity. So the first kind of thing that I would do is just exactly as we would do as UXers, I'd just do my homework. So I'd do a good bit of desk research starting to think about them in the broader sense and what they are trying to achieve. What's their vision as an organization? What's their purpose? 
So then I'll be thinking about the people that I know within that organization. And I might think about, it's usually helpful to think about one person in particular that I'm building the relationship with. And I will start to think about what are their goals? What might they be looking to achieve over the next year? What might be most important to them now? What are they thinking about further on? So doing that kind of bit of desk research as we do as UXers. And then I'll be moving on to actually starting to ask them questions. So very similar to we do in a stakeholder interview, actually sitting down with people and thinking and asking them questions about their world. There's actually a very specific technique in consultative selling called SPIN. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. No. Is it an acronym for something? <laughs> yeah. So do you know what? I don't find it <laughs> that useful as an acronym. I always forget what it stands for. So I've kind of made my own way. I'm also not what I'd call a dogmatic practitioner of something like SPIN. So I've taken the best of it, the things that I have found most useful for me and kind of found my own method. But really, it's just a framework for asking questions. Really simply, it says, we'll start by asking the person that you're with a situational questions. How's it going? What's going on for you? Then moving through into problem questions. So what's keeping you awake at night? What are the challenges you're facing? And then really moving through to different types of questions that might be around asking, what's the impact of this? If this problem doesn't get solved, what does that mean to you? And then starting to think about what's called the payoff. So the benefit, which is what the acronym stands for, situation, problem, impact, called needs payoff. But what's the benefit going to be for you if it gets solved? So really similar to a kind of UX process, doing a bit of homework, then actually starting to ask questions. But consultative selling gives you this spin framework within which to really ask those questions well. And there is another technique that goes along that called active listening, which actually is very different than the kind of conversational listening that we might do normally, which helps you really hold back from starting to problem solve or starting to confront people with the problems that they're telling you or even starting to kind of brainstorm live. It's a method really for holding back and making sure that you've really listened and understood what people are telling you. And then the consultative selling framework says, well, after you've done your homework and you've you know, asked lots of questions and you've listened really well, one of the key techniques then is to summarize back to people what you think you've understood, um, but not in one great big package. Actually, consultative selling, the conversations you have, you tend to summarize really regularly throughout the conversation. I've heard people that do this incredibly well, and they really are summarizing back to people every couple of minutes what they think they've heard. And you will recognize it because it's using phrases like, if I think I've understood you, think what you're trying to tell me is this, etc. And then eventually you move right through to the kind of end of the framework where you start to propose and hypotheses uh, things that might support people through the problems that they've got. So you move through to something to making proposals which are just simply suggestions that might help people with the problem that they've been telling you about. So it's a very high level view of the consultative selling process. One thing that is really key to this is sometimes that happens in a meeting. Sometimes that's an hour meeting akin to something like a stakeholder interview that you might have with somebody. And it might be a very deliberate meeting. So I am going over to see Acme Bank. We are having a conversation because they've got a problem that they know they need help with. And that's why I'm there. On the other hand, sometimes this process can be done over lots of different conversations. This might be snippets of conversations you have 
with a colleague in the kitchen over a few weeks. So you may be trying to think about, you may have an idea that you would love your project team to start adopting some different ways of working or pulling in rich insight from different places than what they're doing right now. And so actually, you might be starting off that process in your mind and you might be having snippets of conversations with them that go over a couple of weeks that you don't pull together into a proposal until a month down the line. So very much want to get across that this is something you can do in one big hit or actually it can be something that you do opportunistically over a long period of time especially when it comes to perhaps relationships that you're still trying to deepen people that you're meeting at networking events etc that you may want to capture their attention but you may not want to seize the moment so to speak you may want to take it a little bit slower and go through a process like this just to help you make sure that when you want to propose something to them uh, it has a really good chance of landing well because you've done your homework and gone through this framework to support it Yeah. And I'm curious in hearing this, glad you got to that proposal part because that's sort of the end result. And I'm curious, and maybe it's a mix of this, I don't know, but in your experience, do you feel like the proposal that you come to at the end of this is a better proposal because it matches what the other party really needs and wants? Or is it because you've actually been talking to them and building a relationship through asking questions and listening? And so now they're more open to hearing this proposal. Yeah, well, wow. That's a great point to both of those are great points in both of those true. (laughs) (laughs) So all we are doing here really is taking a kind of assumptions, hypothesis, prototyping approach to selling. Both of those things hold true. You're going through a framework with somebody. So just by nature of that, it's a much more collaborative process. And so when I'm summarizing back to people what I think I've heard, that's just like getting your assumptions out really. I think I've heard this from what you're telling me. I think I've heard that actually that's not a priority for you in Q1. Um, you know, I think I've heard that you don't want to engage with the marketing or product team yet because of X. You know, these are really important things to get out as early as you can because you may have misunderstood, in which case it's just better to know early. And, you know, secondly, you are showing, you are listening to people, which makes people feel much more comfortable talking to you. And, and then, of course, your collaborative building stuff. And I often do something when I'm summarizing back, very often after a period of time, after doing all those little mini summaries, we do a big summary together where we might get a whiteboard out, pieces of paper, and we and I sketch out what I think my summary is so that we built it together, we've agreed it together. So it's a collaborative process. So it has much more chance of the end proposal that I get to being something that's genuinely going to help them. And I can't stress enough that sometimes at the beginning of this process, I go in with an idea. I think what the bank needs is this. I think if they just went through this program of work, this would really work for them. Or I think the team that I'm working with to deliver this this innovation project for this charity, absolutely, the things that I thought are not true. So that open mind and not holding on to something too tightly is really, really important. And so by the time you get to the end of it, your proposal is much more welcome. You understand much more about each other. And obviously, you've quite often built it together. I'm curious if you've ever in this process, if you've ever had this experience, especially working with a 
Well, this could be either with a client or internal teams where there's multiple layers and you may be working with one layer and you're getting their interpretation, whereas you're not necessarily getting to the top layer and getting all that information. And so sometimes your ideas or your proposals might miss the mark simply because you weren't getting all the information. Yeah, sure. At the very least, during this process, you would have helped the person that you're working with really understand the problem space that they're in. So it's a really nice thing to do. And I want to be very, very clear that it doesn't always end in in what you want. And that's absolutely fine. (laughs) The idea isn't to push through this and that very old school way, win a sale at the end of it or get your promotion or change people's points of view. That's a fine place to get to if that's where you get to by the end of this. But you're right. Occasionally, you won't have had all the information. So you may be making a proposal to a part of the organization, um, a product manager, a, a CFO, whoever it might be. And it works for them, but actually they take it back to the business and it doesn't work and because you haven't had access to all those different layers. But what you would have helped them do and the service you're providing is helping them get super clear on what it is that they want to achieve, super clear at the questions that they should be asking themselves and the people around them. And they are then going through the same process that you are, if you like. They are proposing to some of the people in their business something that they think will work for them If they get a, actually, that's not quite right, that is so useful to them, right? Because we all want to know that as quickly as possible. So they'll get an objection, which is what it is in consultative selling language. And an objection always comes with really, really useful information that you can interrogate and go back almost into the top of this process again and reinvestigate. Oh, excellent. Yeah, that sounds really useful. For listeners who might want to learn more about this, what are some resources, links or names of books or other resources where people who are interested in this can learn more? Sure. So I'm going to really confess here that a lot of the techniques that I've learned, I've learned through a couple of really brilliant courses. And there's one, a lady in particular, who is called Alice Chapman, and she has an organization called Practice. And she's run some terrific sales training for me and colleagues, where we've learned an awful lot of these techniques. There are books out there as well that I could point to, but I can't hand on heart. I haven't read them cover to cover. I've kind of dived in for the areas that I have wanted to follow up myself. So I'm really happy to pass those on, but with a little bit of a something interesting about an awful lot of things that are written about selling and consultative selling come with a slight kind of madman warning. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so sometimes it can feel like they're speaking in a slightly different time, <laughs> you know, uh, a little bit more of an older school version of sales. And so the books that I'm going to recommend now, I think they've all got some great things in there. But the way I've kind of developed consultative selling for myself and colleagues is very much from a user-centered design point of view. So I have adapted it quite a lot. And do you actually bring this to teams in a workshop? So I bring this to people in a conference talk and occasionally a workshop as well. Yeah. Because it sounds like there's a perfect opportunity for you to write a book about it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Do you know what, though? It's that funny thing of none of this is my original thinking. So I've taken Lego bricks of um, tools, consultative selling tools that people have shown me and then thought, okay, with my understanding of being a UX practitioner, what do I think is going to really work in my world? Oh, I believe that is the case with just about every self-help book I have ever read. Yeah. Would you like me to run down a few books that I have delved in to kind of enrich my understanding of the consultative selling world? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's hear them. And I can also link to them on the show notes. Yeah. Great. So I mentioned when talking about asking questions that there was actually a framework for that called SPIN. And that was developed by a chap called Neil Rackham and his colleagues at a consultancy organization that I forget the name of, but it's just called Spin Selling. Consultative selling as a practice, I think started around the 70s. And there is a guy called Matt Cannon, who wrote a book called Consultancy Selling. Again, written in the 70s, but really useful to dive in and out of. And then the most recent book that has been recommended to me by the colleague I mentioned, Alice Chapman, who has done our sales training here is called the challenger sale. And that has a tool in it, which is so useful. So we talked about making proposals and that obviously your proposals, because they've been built collaboratively and with you having a great sense of the business and the human needs of the people that you're trying to support. But the challenger sale actually has a really nice tool called the value hypothesis for helping you actually frame that proposal back to people in a really, really simple but effective way. So the value hypothesis is just something that says one problem you have is this, one answer you could be is this, so that you can achieve this. So it's a really simple framework, lovely to use with client and colleagues alike. Oh, that sounds like an excellent technique. I love those simple frameworks (laughs) that you can use in multiple settings. They're really powerful for achieving clarity, aren't they? Yeah. And it's easier to remember if it's something simple. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Nobody needs more than three steps. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Awesome. Well, I think that we're coming towards the end of our time, but we have some time for a mini mentoring session. And what this is, is a situation that I've received from a UX pro where they explain something that sounds uh, similar to what we've been talking about and get your thoughts on some suggestions for this person. Sure. So in this case, this is a designer. Her name is Ellen. And she says, I've been working on a team I enjoy for a couple of years, but I keep getting the same kinds of projects with the same responsibility and scope while the bigger or more interesting projects go to other designers on the team, even though they have the same amount of experience and capabilities as me. There's a new project that will be coming up soon that sounds really interesting to me. And I mentioned it to my boss, who again said it would probably go to someone else this time because I'd still be working on my current project. I think I'll be winding down on my current project and could take on this new one. What can I say to convince my boss that I could take on this new project and do a good job? Wow. And the situation is a little bit different than kind of what we've been talking about in a consultancy, but I feel like what you're talking about has some techniques that Ellen might be able to use. 
Yeah. Wow. That's a great question from Ellen. And you know what? Something that um, people face all the time, right? I feel like I've got something really valuable to offer here. I'm keen and eager to do it, but I don't seem to be able to get to do it. So some thoughts for Ellen really is to, you can hear the frustration in that question. And I really empathize with it because I've been there. And it's, it's really tough because it brings to mind that framework by, is it Daniel Pink, the autonomy mastery purpose framework, where actually you start to have real feelings of frustration if you're not in command of your own destiny a little bit, if you're not able to, to shape your future. So fair enough, Ellen, it is frustrating. The thing that I would start with is just by saying there might not be a quick fix to this. It might be a little bit longer. But if Ellen is prepared to take a little bit longer, the kind of things that I would advise are starting to talk to her boss a little bit more about what he or she is hoping to achieve. Understanding the human side of uh, her boss would be a really useful thing to do here. You know, what's her aspirations? What would she like to see happen for that team over the next year? What does she want to be doing in a few years' time? So just kind of trying to understand that human picture never hurts to do that. The other thing that I would do is then really think about starting to tie some of the skills that Ellen's clearly got to things that really matter to the business, the organization that she's working with. So if Ellen's been heads down on projects for a while, it can be a bit tough. So give yourself a little bit of brain juice by thinking, okay, who am I working for and what are they trying to do? So going right back to that purpose of the organization and understanding the strategy that the organization has to get where they want to go to and understanding a little bit more about what that means for her department and her team. So just mapping that out. And and I'm not talking about a really detailed piece of work here. I'm just kind of thinking about her sketching that out really quickly. And the goal, the thing that she's looking for here is, well, I want to do this new project. I can't remember if Ellen mentioned why she wanted to do it. Something around that it just feels like it has a better scope or will get us some different skills maybe. Was that right? Sounds interesting. Yes, sounds interesting. So she's got a piece of work that's circling that sounds interesting. What I would be really interested in thinking, Ellen thinking about, was how she can tie some of the skills that she's got to a little bit the skills that the organization are looking for. So that kind of looking at the organizational purpose, understanding the strategy, understanding what the department's going to be wanting to do. What we really want to be doing is trying to tie Ellen's drive to want to work on this new project to something that the organization needs. So has she got a skill maybe that she's demonstrated before that this project is meant to do and and will help them get further towards their purpose? What are the reasons that her boss could put Ellen in the hot seat of this project? Has Ellen got some good arguments around looking back over what she's done and and, and tying it to to that? Bringing together those worlds of what is the organization trying to do and what does her boss want to do? And then just simply thinking, is there something in there where I can be more helpful? And so rather than going to her boss with a, I want this thing, being able to go to her boss with a proposal that is, you have got this problem. (laughs) You are hoping that this project will deliver it. I can really help get you there so that that link between what she wants and what her boss wants and what the organization needs is drawn much more clearly. Some great suggestions. And I think high level, Ellen needs to be looking long-term is what I'm hearing, starting with understanding her boss's perspective. She may be 
like making some assumptions about what she thinks her boss wants or needs, what's motivating her boss. But to actually start asking questions of her boss around that might be really helpful or would be really helpful. And then like sketching out very quickly, like you said, don't spend a ton of time at it. But if she could really sort of map out where her organization's purpose, strategy, et cetera, is going, and then looking at those two things where her own experience and maybe her own interests might lie. Yeah. And a lot of the time when I'm working with people, actually, they don't feel like they have the right to ask questions. It's a really common thing that I get asked when I talk about this at conferences or do workshops is how uncomfortable people feel because they don't feel like they have the permission to approach uh, often people perhaps in more senior positions and just ask them those kind of situational questions of how is it going? What problems are you facing? And I want to go back to that point that we talked about a little bit earlier, that it's a really nice thing to be asked. <laughs> you don't get asked that very often in your day. Actually, most of your day, people are asking things of you. And so if Ellen's feeling a bit apprehensive, feel bullish about there's no permission needed here. It's a really nice service that you're offering. It will give um, her boss a bit of chance to step back and clarify their thoughts before putting them to Ellen. And, and often that's really useful. So be brave with that. The other thing to just reiterate to Ellen is that, you know, let go of that end goal of, I want to get on this new project. That might be exactly what's right for her and what's right for the business that she's working in. But actually what we're really hoping for is that by asking her boss more questions and understanding a bit more about the organization that she's working in, she might find and see other opportunities for her to do that thing, the something interesting, you know, something that looks richer or more interesting as well. It might not just be this project that she's identified. Oh, I think that's such good advice to just sort of look at the long game and something bigger or better might even come out of that. Absolutely. And of course, the final bit is that it might not be the right place for her. <laughs> you have to hold sometimes that, you know, is this the right place where I can do good work is a question you need to be asking yourself all the time. And hopefully by doing a little bit more rigor around understanding the business needs and your colleagues and your boss's needs, you'll be able to answer that with a yes, it is. It's exactly the right place I want to work and I'm going to aim for this. You also might find that it, it isn't and maybe it's time to move on. It might not be the right project for her and her boss might actually have some perfectly valid reasons why it wouldn't be, but you're absolutely right. Get those assumptions out, ask those questions, listen really well summarize back what she thinks she's heard. That'll be really powerful for her. Well, Fizz, I really appreciate talking with you today. This has been so interesting. And I know that our listeners are also going to get a lot out of it. So thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Lee. This is such a great approach to how we sell our ideas or even ourselves or the work that we want to do. So it's not about being more of a sales type which is great because I have never considered myself a sales type. I've always been a little envious of people who are more of sales types, but that's not me. So I think that this approach might feel more authentic for those of us who don't feel we are that sales type. We're using skills that we should be mastering as part of our UX discipline already, right? Empathy, 
curiosity and asking questions and active listening. So this is about using those skills to create better proposals and building better relationships while we do that. And a proposal isn't just what you are giving to a client, as Fizz pointed out really well. It's proposing something that we would like somebody to agree with. If you're interested in finding out more details about these techniques that Fizz is talking about, she has a slide deck where she's drawn out the framework in a really simple step-by-step diagram, as well as more details for each of the techniques. And she has very generously offered it to our listeners to download from our site at uxcake.co. You can find links to the resources we discussed and more on the show notes page at uxcake.co. Do you have a question or situation you'd like to get expert advice on? Send it to us at uxcake at amplifyalliance.com or connect with UXCake on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We love hearing from listeners. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you use. Wherever you listen to UXCake, please subscribe so you don't miss a bite. As always, thank you for joining me today for a slice of UX cake.